the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Having uh, written about leaving them this letter, the question we need to ask is, why then does Peter jump right in to the second coming of Christ? What's the connection here? talked about spiritual growth and there's a transition but i want to write a permanent letter to you to remind you these things that i've already taught you and then the second coming why why here's what opens it all up for us peter was not the only teacher that these people had teaching them they had what peter refers to as false teachers and he'll deal with them in detail in chapter two these false teachers claim to have just as much authority as peter put yourself back in that day you're in a congregation and, and you, you know Peter and you've got his letters and he's verbally uh, taught you. But there are other teachers who say, yeah, we, we are his apostles too. Peter had told his readers in 2 Peter 1.15, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And of course, he did that by writing it down for them. And God has preserved Peter's words to this day for that same reason, so that we would have them available to us when people say things like, well, if Jesus was coming, he'd have been here by now. And that's not the only kind of heresy that we're likely to hear, is it? Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today we come to the middle part of Pastor Steve's fourth sermon in this series from 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter's first century audience, when he wrote this letter, already knew the things that Peter was writing to them. But false teachers had moved in, and they were telling them that what Peter had taught them uh, was not true. And apparently some in the church were beginning to wonder what really was true. Was Jesus returning or not? Well, we know that he is, and we know it in part because of this letter Peter wrote. But there's so much in the Bible for us to learn and to remember that it's hard to contain it all. So let's listen as Pastor Steve refreshes our memories. There is so much that we're trying to absorb. Uh, it, is, uh, it is difficult to get it all in. For example, you come to a morning service like this and we're singing songs that, uh, that are dealing with one issue of my tribute and how can I say thanks for what you've done to me? Then, then we're singing about I know whom I've believed. Then Junetta gets up and, and sings about being crucified with Christ and a wonderful song. And then I get to Second Peter. And then if you've been to Sunday school, you've, you've got some other things. If you come back tonight, you're going to get more. And if you've had your own personal devotions, you're in another portion of scripture. And you know, so much is coming at us. It's really easy to forget. And so, what what a Bible teacher does is he reminds people of truths he's already taught them. That's what a pastor a pastor does. That's why repetition is such an important aspect of Bible teaching because we forget and we fail to apply and we need a fresh reminder of God's word. 
The Apostle Paul did this. This was Paul's uh, approach. In fact, let me just show you a few passages of Scripture just so you understand why I repeat myself so, so often. Romans chapter 15. In Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said something very interesting, and those of you involved in biblical nuthetic counseling should know that this is, uh, uh, should know this, uh, these two verses. Romans 15, beginning at verse 14, he says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. That's where Jay Adams gets the, gets the, uh, got the name of his book, Competency Counsel. Admonish. That's where the word nuthetic comes from, to put into the mind, to place into the mind. Fill with all knowledge so you'll be able to admonish one another. We, we are all supposed to be counseling one another, admonishing one another. And Paul says, I know that you at Rome are doing this. You're all involved in discipling and counseling and encouraging one another. And so these people were active. These people were filled with knowledge. Do they need to be reminded of anything? Certainly. Verse 15. But he writes, I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Paul said, listen, I know that you know the word of God and I know that you're active and even ministering the word of God, but I write you these things very boldly to remind you of what you already know. He not only said that in uh, in Philippians three one you don't need to turn there. He said that that actually it's no trouble to to repeat himself. It's a safeguard, he said, for you. It's a protection for you because nobody gets it the first time. Nobody gets it the second time. Nobody gets it fully the third time. You will never fully master the word of God. No matter how many years you've been to Bible college, no matter how many years you've been a believer, no matter uh, how many degrees are behind your name, there is always a need to be refreshed in the word of God. Always that. Not only did Paul use that method of Bible teaching, but Jesus actually established the Lord's Supper as a constant reminder for us. Now, those of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, we certainly understand and and believe that he died for our sins. You can't be saved without that. But the Lord's Supper serves as a constant reminder of the significance and meaning of his death for us. Why? Not because we've forgotten the theological implications of it, but because we need our our hearts to be refreshed and, and we need to be reminded of these precious truths. So it is Peter's really pastoral concern for his readers that compels him to remind them of these truths that they already knew, but they need to be stirred up in these truths. But there's something else that drove him to write this letter. It wasn't just to remind them, though that was part of it. Notice in verses 3 through 15, which we just read, he speaks about uh, about dying. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, meaning his body, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Peter knew that he was going to die. And he knew it would be soon. He knew it would be imminent. And how did he know that? I'd like you to look at John chapter 21. And let's, uh, when we introduced this, this uh, letter, I dealt with this, but let's look a little bit deeper here. In John chapter 21, you have a wonderful portion of scripture beginning at verse 15 in which uh, Jesus restored Peter to his ministry. If you've ever been discouraged in your own life and you've ever seen your your sinfulness, and uh, and certainly we all have, and you've wondered if God could ever use you again, this is a very encouraging passage to, uh, to give you a reminder that God is not through with you. Verse 15 says, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Now, Jesus restored Peter to his ministry. And why why did Peter need restoration? Just before this, Peter had denied the Lord three times. Remember, Peter had bragged about how, how much better he was spiritually than the other men. Remember, Jesus said, listen, when I'm, when the shepherd is taken, all of you are going to flee. You're going to, you're going to forsake me. And Peter said, uh, but not me, Lord, because I'm a cut above these guys. I'm better than them. And Jesus said, oh, really? You're not only going to forsake me. You are going to deny me three times. And Peter did deny the Lord three times. And so you, you understand how Peter must have felt. He must have felt not only did I sin, I have absolutely blown it in my ministry. In fact, he must have concluded, I have no ministry. The Lord will never use me again. I'm, I mean, these other guys ran away, but they're back. But me, I denied him. I cursed and I, I bitterly swore that I never even knew this man. I'm through. I'm done. And so this is after the resurrection now in John 21. Peter has gone back to fishing, not because he was a recreational fisher. He's gone back to fishing because he was a professional fisherman. And I think he's just gone back to his old job. And Jesus appears to him. And uh, because, because Simon Peter denied Jesus three times, three times Jesus forced Peter to say, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And three times Jesus said, then take care of my flock. Then take care of my flock. In other words, Peter... I've not, I've not abandoned you. You, yes, you, you, uh, you did what was wrong. You denied me, but I am restoring you to your ministry. See, the issue here is never salvation. Never lose your salvation. But he thought, thought he lost his ministry. And in this case, Peter was restored to his ministry. Now, how long was that to, to take place? Was it temporary? No. Notice verses 18 and 19. Jesus was telling him that it's to go on the rest of his life. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish, meaning you used to get dressed and do whatever you wanted. You dressed yourself. But when you grow old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, this he was signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus not only restored Peter to his ministry, but he said, Peter, your ministry is to feed my people the word of God, teach them. And this ministry is to continue until you die, until you're an old man. And Peter, you're going to live to be an old man, but you're going to die as a martyr and you're going to be crucified. And I take it that that's what the expression stretch out your your hands means. He's going to be put on a cross and tradition says that that's exactly what happened. And when Peter wrote Second Peter, understand that he was an old man at this time. Nero's persecution had begun, and Peter more than likely, can't prove this, but more than likely was already in prison. And it may very well be that he wrote this letter from prison, and Peter put two and two together and figured out it's just a logical conclusion. Jesus said, I'm going to die when I'm old. I am old. I'm in prison here. Nero's persecuting the uh, the Christian. It doesn't take... Uh, uh, a whole lot of thinking to figure out he's coming after me very quickly and I'm going to die soon. So I better write this letter before I die. I better put in permanent written form 
these teachings so that after I'm gone, they can refer back to this and not lose anything. That's why notice verse 15 of Second Peter 1. He said, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you'll be able to call these things to mind. Peter has been long gone, dead for 2,000 years, and yet we can refer back to his words, though he being dead yet lives. So he wanted to give them a permanent reminder of these truths, and I take it that that's exactly what he's done in Second Peter. So having uh, written about leaving them this letter, the question we need to ask is, why then does Peter jump right in to the second coming of Christ? What's the connection here? Talked about spiritual growth, and there's a transition, but I want to write a permanent letter to you to remind you of these things that I've already taught you, and then the second coming. Why? Why? Here's what opens it all up for us. Peter was not the only teacher that these people had teaching them. They had what Peter refers to as false teachers, and he'll deal with them in detail in chapter 2. These false teachers claim to have just as much authority as Peter. Put yourself back in that day. You're in a congregation, and, and you, you know Peter, and you've got his letters, and he's verbally uh, taught you. But there are other teachers who say, yeah, we, we are his apostles too. And Peter, Peter doesn't have that kind of authority. He's a phony. Peter says, no, wait a minute, I'm the right apostle. I'm the true apostle. These men are phonies, and these teachers were confusing these people by teaching things contrary to what Peter taught, especially about the return of Christ. They denied it, and Peter dogmatically taught it. So that's the situation facing them, and it's as if Peter knows that his readers are thinking this. Peter, we know uh, what you are saying about Christ's coming. We've heard what you had to say, but how do we know that you're teaching us the truth? How do we know that these men are wrong and you're right? Maybe they're right. How can we know for certain that Jesus is coming again? How can we be absolutely sure he's coming again? How do we know that you're telling us the truth? And folks, that's the reason why Peter launches into teaching about the coming of Christ. His point isn't simply to teach them that Jesus is coming again, but to teach them and by way of application to teach us how we can be absolutely certain that he's coming again. We live in a day and age in which people mock at the second coming of Christ, in which liberal theologians deny it in which there are, are even uh, otherwise good Bible teachers who are so confused on the coming of Christ that you listen to them and you don't know what they're talking about. They spiritualize the coming of Christ. They don't spiritualize any other portion of Scripture, but when it comes to prophecy, they spiritualize it, and they don't take the plain, normal, literal sense of Scripture. And so how can we know for certain that Jesus will return? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since he promised to return, and every generation of Christians have, have looked to that promise and looked to him and said with the apostle John, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. We're waiting for you and yet it hasn't happened. How do we know that we've not built our lives on, on kind of a wishful dream? How do we know that what we've been taught is, uh, is true or not? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning and next week. The closing verses of this chapter, Peter tells us, he gives us two reasons why you can be absolutely certain of the return of Christ. We're going to look at one this week and one next week. Let's look at the first reason we can be absolutely confident that Jesus Christ will return. We don't know when it is. We don't, uh, we don't set dates. Jesus told us not to. We see trends that look like things are really shaping up. We read interesting books about it, the Left Behind series. But we don't know the date. We don't know when. But we can know for certain that he will return. Number one, because of the testimony of eyewitnesses. There were people who saw it. 
That may sound very strange to you, but let's see what Peter says. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter starts off this section by denying that he and and some of his fellow apostles, that's what he means by we, followed cleverly invented stories when they made known the power and coming of, of Christ. Now, exactly why did Peter defend himself? And he is defending himself right here. And and what is he defending himself about? Well, the Greek word that's translated tales, or perhaps your translation says fables, is uh, is mythos, from which we get our English word myth. It sounds very similar, and so that'll stick in your mind. In ancient times, Jewish uh, authors used this word, this very Greek word, to refer to pagan fiction about gods. The Jewish writers said, hey, the pagans use this word. They're telling us tall tales about their gods and about the creation of the world and miraculous happenings. That's that's fictional stuff. More than likely, Peter had been accused by the false teachers of making up stories, fables, myths, fictional stuff about the return of, of Jesus in power and splendor. And they were saying, hey, just like the pagans, this guy is making that up. That's more than likely what was happening, and that's why Peter defends himself. They must have accused him of telling these these tales about Christ's return for the purpose of deceiving people into following him, gaining a following. Because when when Peter um, denies this charge, he states that he did not follow cleverly devised or deceitfully concocted stories about Jesus and his coming power in glory. Now, let me ask you a question. How do we know that Peter didn't invent the return of Christ. How do we know that? How do we know that the story of, of our Lord's return was not some apostolic invention in order to keep us in line? You know, listen, you better be good boys and good girls because the king is coming again and you don't want to get in trouble. How do we know that that's not what they were doing? Well, we do know that. We do know that that's not what they were doing. We do know that that he's absolutely coming again and that Peter is just faithfully telling us what Jesus told him. How do we know that? Because in verse 16, Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We actually saw it. We saw something of the second coming of Christ. Peter claims that he and the apostles actually witnessed with their eyes Christ's glorious appearance at the time of his second coming. He called it the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Better translated, Christ coming in power or his powerful coming. That's that's the thought here. Peter claims that, that he didn't make up anything. He actually saw it. Now, let's think about that. How could that be? Peter is long gone and Jesus has not returned yet. How could Peter claim that he actually witnessed the coming of Christ in, in power and the, and the glory. After all, Peter was with Jesus for three years. And in those three years, uh, Jesus was in what theologians call the state of his humiliation. That is, he uh, appeared and was a poor Jewish man. There was nothing, if you if you and I were to be transported back 2,000 years, there would be nothing physically impressive about Christ. Small Jewish man fitting in with all the others. In fact, how do we know that? Because Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing in his appearance that would attract us. No, no comeliness. He, he didn't come across as one who was head and shoulders above anybody else. Just looked like a common Jewish man. And how could Peter then have witnessed Christ's glorious appearance at his second coming? Well, there was one time, one time alone during his lifetime that Peter did witness 
his glorious second coming appearance. And I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. This is the story of the what's known as the transfiguration of Christ. In verse 21, Jesus, and we're not going to read all these verses, but in verse 21, Jesus uh, began to tell his disciples that he had to go to Jerusalem. He was going to suffer. He was going to die. And uh, they knew what he was talking about, though they didn't want to accept it. Now, they didn't understand the full impact of his death. They didn't understand at this point why he had to die and the substitutionary atonement. And that's why Peter rebuked him. And, and Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. And so that's the context here. So Jesus understood certainly that um, that his disciples were uh, greeted this news with uh, with feelings of discouragement. So he he gave them a word to encourage them about his coming. He didn't want them to think that uh, that the future only held suffering and pain for him. He wanted them to know that uh, he would come the blaze of glory. And so he says in verse twenty seven of Matthew 16, but the son of man is going to come in the glory of his father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus makes that statement. And then he made a statement that has puzzled people for years. Truly, verse 28, truly, I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus told his disciples that some of them would not experience death until they saw him coming in his kingdom. But folks, that was 2,000 years ago. All those men are dead. Jesus still hasn't come back. So what did Jesus mean by this? So I could tell you right now, the Jesus seminar people would say he was wrong. Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. They would say he was foolish to make a promise like this. In fact, they would say he never made this promise. Somebody said he made this promise. That's, that's what they would say. Well, the Jesus seminar may conclude that. However, there was a man there who heard Christ's words named Matthew. Matthew wrote down what Jesus meant. Matthew, who was, who was an eyewitness and heard these, uh, is a lot closer to the action than some liberal theologians 2,000 years later. And Matthew tells us exactly what Jesus meant. We move on to chapter 17. There really is no break in the action here, at least in terms of, of what Matthew is saying. Verse, seven, uh, verse 1 of chapter 17, six days later, meaning six days after this promise was given, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high, on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Six days after Jesus promised that some of the apostles wouldn't die until they saw him coming in his kingdom, he took three of them, Peter, James, and John, with him up to a, a high mountain. We don't know what mountain that is. If you go to Israel, tour guides will point out Mount Tabor. But I looked at Mount Tabor, and I don't think that's real high. So I don't, I don't know that that was the place. But the reason he took these three up on a high mountain, as verse 2 tells us, is that he was transfigured before them. Now, what does that mean? It means that his physical form or appearance changed right before them. By his appearance, Jesus gave these men a glimpse of his divine glory. He gave them a preview of what it will be like when he comes, watch this, when he comes again to set up his kingdom. His face shone like the sun, and even his clothes became, it says, as white as light. And what was happening? For 33 years, Jesus had veiled his glory veiled that Shekinah glory as he, he physically appeared to be just another, as I said, just another human being. And he was uh, uh, another human being, but he was not 
an ordinary human being. He was also God. And on this occasion, he revealed something of the intrinsic Shekinah glory by manifesting the very same glory that will be clear to all when? When he comes again at his second coming to establish his kingdom. In other words, Jesus was giving these apostles a preview, a foretaste of his appearance at his second coming. That's what he was doing. And that's what Peter is saying in his second letter. He says, we were eyewitnesses along with with James and John of Christ's second coming glory. What an amazing privilege Jesus granted to Peter, James, and John when he gave them a glimpse of his glory as he spoke with Moses and Elijah. Pastor Steve will continue his explanation of our assurance of Christ's return when we meet again. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. To find out more about Lakeside, call the office at 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to listen again to today's broadcast or hear any of our previous programs, they're free to stream or download at our website, versebyverseradio.org. And there's a giving page if you feel led to help support Verse by Verse. We appreciate those gifts and the ones who give them. We can't do this without your help. The web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. I hope you can join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve will wrap up this message from 2 Peter with some terrific reassurances that will help us understand how we can trust that what Peter remembered and wrote about was the actual truth. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's ver- There's a lot going on right now. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.